You're listening and watching Rashkin Report. This is Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to welcome to this live stream um, and later on a recording available on YouTube as well as a podcast, by the way. Uh, one of the most, probably the most prominent Soviet rock critic and Russian rock critic, and now a political analyst and lecturer who lives in Tallinn, Estonia, Artemi Troitsky. Artemi, thank you for being on the program. Welcome. Uh, good evening or afternoon or whatever. Uh, in Tallinn, it's uh, about uh, 11 o'clock p.m. right now. Uh, I think it's much earlier in the USA. Well, anyway, uh, glad to be with you. Thank you so much. Um, it, it is kind of interesting that you are a rock critic, but you are now so well known, especially in the Russian media space, as a political commentator. How do you think that that came about? Well, I think uh, I think it's uh, it's not a serious uh, uh, deal because I. I don't earn any money with my <laughs> political comments, so it's not professional and I do not consider myself political analyst. Sounds <laughs> weird to me, uh, but I always have been a political animal of a kind. My father was a well-known uh, historian and the political scientist. And since uh, the beginning of the 90s, I've started a weekly column in uh, an English language Moscow newspaper called the Moscow Times. Uh, this column was called Metro Diary. And uh, I've covered all kinds of activities there, cultural, musical, uh, social, but also, also, of course, I occasionally wrote about uh, political issues and uh, the time was pretty shaky because of the, well, you probably remember the shelling of the parliament in 1993, the beginning of the Chechen war in 1994, the infamous Yeltsin elections in 1996, and so on. So this is how I gradually became involved in, uh, in political journalism. And uh, then suddenly found myself uh, much in demand as a political commentator. And I still do not consider myself uh, a serious expert, but I think that I have a couple of things that many political analysts lack. And uh, the main one is that I'm not, I'm not uh, following any political trend. I do not work for any parties, any organizations and so on. So I, I may uh, uh, honestly uh, call myself an objective commentator because uh, because I do not, uh, uh, I, I don't subscribe to any uh, fixed political trends in uh, in the country and abroad as well. It's interesting. It's kind of like all the biases are just your own. Um, all right, then let's take a look. And I really would love to hear you share your opinion with our audience 
on uh, the protests that are going on in Russia. This has to do with Alexei Navalny, but it also being um, imprisoned, but so much more as well, and uh, and the general state of things in Russia. But uh, the question is, what can this lead to? Because we just haven't seen uh, in Russian experience. I mean, there's a Russian-Soviet revolution in 1917. Um, and there was a world war happening at the same time. We have a pandemic. Do you see any potential here for a change in government? Or do you see this as almost more of a Belarus model where people come out, people protest, and then dictator goes on? Well, I think, I think that uh, the stories in Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, Moldova, are all quite different. And I, uh, I have, uh, I'm full of optimism when it comes uh, to the Republic of Belarus. I think that the people there are consolidated uh, against, against Lukashenko's dictatorship. And I think it's only a matter of time it could take uh, some months, it could take uh, half a year, could take a year, but uh, the days of dictatorship in Belarus are numbered. Uh, I really believe so. So here I'm very optimistic. When it comes to Russia, it's, uh, well, Russia, generally speaking, is, is an abyss. <laughs> it's uh, it's a country. Uh, it's uh, it's an absolute enigma. It's unpredictable. It's weird. It's cold. Uh, it's uh, it's a bit scary. And uh, of course, there are some uh, some positive trends in Russia. But at the same time, uh, I'm not sure that these trends will go somewhere. Uh, well. Uh, somewhere positive and will reach some kind of happy end. I think that Alexei Navalny is a very uh, right kind of leader for Russia. He's a little bit populist, he's a little bit nationalistic, and without these things, I don't think uh, it could be any possible uh, to win, uh, you know, the hearts of Russian people, the hearts of, 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 of Russian voters. Uh, and uh, Navalny, I think, is the first Russian leader since Vladimir Lenin and Leon Trotsky who really wants to grab power. Because, of course, we've had a plenty of beautiful people like Andrei Sakharov, Boris Nemtsov, and so on, all those glorious idealistic dissidents and so on. Uh, but neither of them really wanted to fight uh, for, uh, for power in, in the country. They were rather uh, uh, on the side of enlightenment. Uh, they were moral authorities and so on, but they were not political authorities. And I think that this was, uh, you know, this made uh, their revolt beautiful, but in a way hopeless. Uh, with, uh, 
Navalny, there, there is a glimpse, of, uh, <laughs> a glimpse of hope, light at the end of tunnel, because he's very brave, he's very strong, he's very charismatic, and this is why uh, Putin uh, is so um, much scared of him. You know, he even uh, uh, is afraid uh, to mention his name. He's never said Navalny, American spy. Uh, only, only his press agents uh, uh, do it. So uh, I think that Russia will live through a very interesting year in 2021. In September, we have parliamentary elections. Indeed, I do not believe in, uh, in, in uh, elections, in fair elections. Uh, under Putin's uh, regime, of course, they will be all falsified and forged and so on. Uh, but of course, these elections, they can trigger more protest movement in the country and maybe for the first time, again, since 1917, for the first time in more than 100 years, uh, uh, a massive people's revolt will bring change to the country because all previous changes, uh, be it Gorbachev or, or Yeltsin or Khrushchev, all previous changes uh, in the Soviet Union and Russia, they have happened not, not because of revolutions, but uh, because, uh, because of some kind of uh, uh, inner coups uh, or splits in the elite and so on. So it wasn't, it wasn't really uh, a popular thing. Uh, Okay. <laughs> so well, no, I'm thinking because, more or less. Right, right. Um, you know, it's kind of sends this image of Russia being a land of monarchs and czars. And, and the question is, who's going to be the next czar? And this is probably going to be like an exciting soap opera on Russian TV in several hundred years. But as far as real change for people, I'm thinking that maybe the best time in the last quite a few years was when oil prices were high because there was, with all the corruption in Russia, there was still the trickle down effect uh, where people managed to, I think, live better and now look forward, you know, look back to that time of high oil prices. That seems to have been the, the best reason for a good life in Russia. Am I, am I missing something? Well, uh, from the point of view of material prosperity, uh, the notes, you know, the first decade of the 21st century was uh, was by far the quietest, uh, uh, the best fed, and <laughs> and and culturally the most boring decade in Russian history. That's uh, that's that's for sure. I personally, I hated the, that decade because it was really very boring. Uh, yes, well, of course, the theft, the theft and corruption was absolutely enormous but because of the oil prices even those money that were not stolen uh, by putin and his friends even you know the small remains zbarskova stala as we say you know <laughs> these uh, bits and pieces uh, from uh, from uh, the, the the lord's table i don't know the... they still made uh, poor people happy Right, but poor, you know, but uh, satisfied people don't cause re revolutions. And now there's, it seems like a consensus that I'm hearing in Russian language media that the situation is getting pretty desperate. 
the economy is stalling, the pandemic is ravaging, you know, do you see the situation as desperate enough for some kind of actions? Or people, you know, the, the eternal Russian question of you, they look at Moscow, go, ah, oh, those fat Moscovites, they, they're going to be fine, they're not going to do anything. You know, how do you see the, the desperation of the situation in Russia as it, as it exists now in the beginning of 21? Well, I think that Russia feels very unhappy right now. That's, that's for sure. It's because of both economic blues and because of repressions and because of the virus and so on. So, uh, yes, the level of frustration in the country is pretty high. Uh, the new thing here is that uh, one is that the regions, the provincial Russia is becoming more and more uh, angry. And uh, like on January 23rd, we've seen that for the first time uh, uh, in many, many years, uh, the public rallies, uh, these protest uh, demonstrations in St. Petersburg, Yekaterinburg, Vladivostok, and so on, they've been huge. I mean, uh, per capita, they've been bigger than, uh, than the crowd in Moscow. And uh, this is something new, and uh, I think it's uh, you know it's an indication of of uh, that something's going on. Another important thing is uh, the role of youth. Russian youth uh, in the past several decades was uh, has been uh, uh, very apolitical. I mean, uh, you know, they've only cared about uh, sex and money and beer and, uh, you know, all those uh, little uh, nice things, but uh, they never cared about, about uh, human rights, about uh, democracy and, and so on. So, but, uh, but this has definitely changed now because uh, uh, a lot of people who went out in, in, in the streets in January, they've been uh, young and, and even very young teenagers have hit the streets and it's, uh, and it's a new thing for Russia. So I think that, uh, yes, there is, uh, there is uh, uh, or there are some signs, signs of change in, in, in Russia, but, uh, you know, Still, I, I don't uh, uh, see it, it uh, massive and radical enough to overturn uh, the existing regime. Therefore, do you suspect or are you suggesting that it's going to take internal pressure combined with external pressure on Russia and Russian regime, Kremlin, uh, to have a country move towards more democratic self-rule. Um, in, that, in that light, what do you expect and would like to see Biden administration do? Well, I think that the four years of Trump's administration have been absolutely lost. Uh, if we talk about uh, America's impact on, uh, on what's happening in uh, Russia, uh, you know, that uh, human rights weren't very high on Trump's agenda. And uh, this will definitely change drastically uh, with Biden's administration. And I'm pretty sure that 
Biden's and Blinken's uh, uh, attitude towards Russia will be much tougher and uh, more focused on such fundamental issues like human rights and, and freedom and also, of course, uh, uh, support for uh, democratic uh, movements in both Russia and, and uh, Belarus and, and uh, other former Soviet countries. So I, I, I do believe, and I think that unlike, unlike uh, Trump's administration, Biden's one is, uh, is, uh, is very predictable and very logical. I believe that they will uh, put America back on the rails of, uh, of support for democracy and freedom worldwide. I don't hear you. Let us hope ah. for that. Um, um, you know, in conclusion, I really should ask you because you are such an expert on rock music and just music, pop music. Who are you listening to right now? And who should people listen to if they're interested in current, what's going on currently in Russian music? And how do you see role that music plays in political change? Well, I wouldn't exaggerate the role of music in uh, the political change. I mean, uh, the popular the popular myth is that uh, that it was rock music uh, <laughs> who swept away uh, uh, the Soviet power in uh, in the eighties. But of course, it's uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is not really so. Of course, uh, you know we've had a very uh, active and and popular and teasing uh, uh, rock repertoire in, in the 80s, many, many protest hit songs and so on. But uh, still, I think that the, the most important things, they happened outside of the musical field. And, uh, and right now, right now, we have uh, a revival, uh, a very impressive revival of protest music in Russia. It's not, it's not as uh, huge as in Belarus, where literally all popular uh, singers, rock bands, pop bands, and so on, started to sing uh, protest songs against Lukashenko. Uh, it's quite incredible uh, over there. Uh, in Russia, it's not, it's not as evident, but, uh, but still, Still, well, I think that uh, we have all kinds of uh, of factions in this on this protest scene. Uh, first of all, it's the veteran of the '80s, of the '80s anti-Soviet revolution, singing revolution. Uh, people like uh, Andrei Makarevich of Time Machine, Boris Grebenshikov, Aquarium, uh, Yuri Shevchuk, DDT, and so on. So they uh, they've caught this. Uh, Second Wind, they're in, in a very good, in a very good songwriting form. Then, of course, there are young rock bands, uh, most of them uh, punk, post-punk bands, uh, you know, angry young men uh, uh, who, uh, whose songs uh, are often played at protest rallies in Moscow and other cities. 
And here I can mention such names as Elysium, Luna, uh, Pornofilmi, <laughs> and, uh, and many others. And of course, of course, there's also, there's also the latest trend in Russian pop music, which is rap and, and hip hop. And rap is very, very strongly uh, uh, politicized in Russia. We have uh, uh, such uh, rappers as a noise MC, who is my favorite, or Dolphin, or uh, Husky, or Oxymiron. You know, all these guys, uh, you know, they uh, s uh, sing or, or they rap uh, political anthems and they are followed by, uh, by a lot of, uh, a lot of youngsters in Russia. And by the way, by the way, if we, uh, if we are talking not only about protest music, but uh, good pop, pop music in general, several Russian artists, all female, all from Moscow, they, uh, they have gained some degree of popularity on American and Western European uh, alternative music scene. There's a girl from Moscow uh, nicknamed Kate and V, uh, Katya Shilakhvostova, uh, who has released an LP in America, which uh, uh, was in the lists of best albums of, of 2020 everywhere, like Pitchfork and so on. Then uh, there's a girl band uh, called Lucid Vox, also from Moscow. They're kind of a folksy, psychedelic band. Really, really interesting uh, stuff, uh, who are also uh, now quite big uh, in Western Europe. So I do believe that maybe, maybe uh, this Russian musical wave uh, will also hit some some distant shores. Absolutely, I'm sitting here making a list. Like, okay, listen to so. All right. Huh? So, dear listeners and viewers, you can after this uh, stream is complete, you can just rewind back or pause and and write down exactly all the bands that our guest mentioned. Artemi, thank you so much for being on the program. My pleasure. It was a pleasure. Yeah, well, good. We both had pleasure. Um, I look forward to continuing this conversation and uh, all the best. And to all the listeners yeah. and viewers, if you're uh, subscribe, you have to subscribe. And uh, you don't have to, but please. And uh, thanks to everyone who's supporting this channel on Patreon. You are my heroes. Thank you so much.